so I want to remind you of um, a fundamental truth of our interpretation of Scripture. When we, when we look to Scripture, we need to consider the meaning for, for us today. And so, in this text, uh, as we consider those different hearers, well, there will be two frames of understanding. Separate but interconnected. I want you to see and, and listen as we, as we read the text for for the way the disciples on that, that night in the upper room would have heard this text. And then I want you to consider its meaning for us today. Again, meaning that is interconnected for them and for us. As we prepare to look to this word, let's bow, asking the Lord's blessing in the reading and preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Father, we come to you humbly, dependently. This is your word. And, and it's folly to think that we could gain understanding apart from you. And so would you be with us? Would you, would you grant us the presence of your spirit? Would you, would you point us to the truths of Jesus? Would you bless our souls through your timeless word? Do this we ask. Christ's name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. 
His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. There's a movement in this text. It's a movement that's been taking place in the lives of the disciples over the course of three years and it's been heightened over this night. When I speak of this night, we've spent several chapters uh, diving deeply into this, um, this upper room discourse. Jesus preparing the disciples for his impending betrayal and arrest and crucifixion. And over the course of this night, Jesus has spoke plainly to disciples and this movement that has taken place in the text and over the course of this night and to some extent over the course of the three years is this movement from, from confusion to clarity. It's a clarity here that, that they are beginning to realize that they will soon be alone. Now, that clarity then begins to fuel more confusion. What will they do when they're alone? Jesus, after all, is, is their friend. He has been their mentor. He has been their guide for three years. He has been with them. And, and now he's telling them that soon, very soon, he's going away and they will be alone. We'll come back to them in a minute and consider their aloneness. But, but I want to ask you, how do you handle being alone? I'm not talking about the alone that the introvert desires. Some of you are saying, I handle that quite well. <laughs> um, no, I'm talking about a different kind of alone. I'm talking about loneliness. I'm talking about lost in being alone. And in that loneliness, in that aloneness, how do you handle struggle? How do you handle trials when you don't have someone beside you to walk with you through it? How do you handle pain and fear when you're lonely? Well, some of us, some of the time, or maybe all of us at some times, deal with that aloneness by despairing. Trouble, trials come, and when we're alone, panic begins to creep in. We lock up and we run into hiding. Maybe that struggle is... Fear of competence, maybe it is a diagnosis, maybe it is conflict 
And when it comes and we feel all alone, we, we, we want to hide. We want to hide and, and run away from the trouble. For some of us, or maybe, again, for all of us, some of the time, when the trouble comes in our aloneness, whether, rather than retreating into hiding, we, we mask it with hardness. Hardness takes many forms. Sometimes it's a callous disregard. Sometimes it's defiant self-reliance. We have this aching sense that our strength won't be enough to hold up in the storm, but we, but we put it on like a mask and we, and we walk into it because, well, somebody's got to. we're alone we respond either in hiding or in hardness but could there be another way Jesus points to another way the another way that Jesus points to rather than hiding or hardness is is to hope the hope that Jesus points us to is It's not a naive positivity. Jesus is telling us here in this text that he's going. He's acknowledging what is coming. And that that going will bring sorrow for the disciples. They will be alone. And he acknowledges that, but as he does so, he points to hope looking with certainty beyond his going to his coming, to his coming again. So in pointing to this hope, Jesus is is continuing a work that that he has been uh, doing for these past three years with the disciples. It is a work of, of preparation. It's a work that's been going on a long time. I don't know about you, but I find great encouragement in Jesus' patient, steadfast, long-suffering preparation for the disciples. I find encouragement in that because I need it. I forget. I despair in my loneliness when when the trouble comes, when the conflict comes. I want to run, but Jesus is steadfast. Not only with the disciples patient with me and he's patient with you pointing us all to the hope that is found in him now I also understand that in this room there are likely some who are possibly confused about Jesus maybe even skeptical about the claims the truth claims that he presents here And I hope that you find comfort in his steadfastness as well. That Jesus' preparation, his, his proclamation of hope is not a one and done statement. That he continues to pursue patiently, lovingly, drawing us to himself. I, 
I hope that is a source of encouragement for you wherever you find yourself now in relation to Jesus. Let's talk for a minute about this work of preparation for the disciples. It begins simply enough in the text in verse 16. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me. In other words, I'm going and then I'm coming. For the disciples, their situation was one of, they were going to lose Jesus seemingly. Going for them meant that he was going to the cross. It meant that he was going to die. With death, there's pain. Some of you here mourning the loss of loved ones. For some, it's a recent loss. For some, it's not recent, but the pain lingers. Death is painful, particularly for those of us who are left behind for many reasons, but one of the main ones is that we are left lonely. We dearly miss our loved ones. We long to be with them, and the disciples are about to experience that in a unique and pointed way. Jesus is saying, it will happen. But Jesus is also telling them, as he points to their sorrow that will come, that their sorrow will turn to joy. What do we say on Good Friday? We gather for a Good Friday service. That, that day on Good Friday when we remember Jesus is going to the cross and the darkness that is cast over that day. But on that day we, we celebrate saying Sunday's coming. We know that because we look back. We look back in the Word, we know the truth of what happened in fulfillment of His Word here. But Jesus is telling the disciples, Sunday's coming. The resurrection is coming. And for the disciples on that first resurrection day, there would be two blessed truths. First, their sorrow would turn to joy. I can't relate to this, and quite frankly, none of the men in this room can relate to it, but apparently childbirth is painful. I talked to a friend the other day who reminded me that it's not only childbirth that's painful, but for many of the women around pregnancy, the entire nine months of it is painful. <laughs> Imagine the mothers who deliver subsequent children know the pain that is coming. And they approach it with a sense of impending sorrow. I don't know that it's the main point, but how sweet is it that Jesus doesn't minimize the pain? Jesus is merciful. He acknowledges the reality of it. He enters into it in a sense. But he also puts it in perspective. The pain that the disciples are going to feel is real. But in the perspective of what is to come, 
it will give way to a far greater, far more lasting joy that the disciples would experience that first Easter Sunday. Their sorrow will turn to joy on that day, but there is a second beautiful truth that they will receive on that first resurrection day. They gained a newfound clarity. We talked about this movement from confusion to clarity, but when Jesus rose up from the grave, the confusion that they had felt over what must have seemed to be His veiled teachings, the confusion they must have felt over the meaning of their suffering, it would all give way to a beautiful clarity when Jesus rose up from death into life. There's a clarity that gave meaning, but also a clarity that pointed to the victory that they too would share in Him. Now that was them. But Jesus is also prepping us. Now, for us, the, the going away that Jesus speaks of, it's already happened. There's a sense in which it happened at the ascension. When Jesus went to be with the Father at His right hand. And in His, in his going, we are left here, many of us, to wonder. Many of us, sorrow is not a future event, but a present reality. And so Jesus is preparing us for the joy that is to come then. But when is then? Then is the glory that we will experience at the earlier of two events. The glory that we will experience when we pass from this life into the next, into the very presence of Jesus. Or when Jesus brings glory down, as He ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, when He brings glory to us, to our presence, then is the earlier of our passing to be with Him in glory or His bringing glory down to us. We have a measure of clarity now. As we read in the Word and by God's grace as we receive the, the promised Holy Spirit who indwells believers to, to open the eyes of our hearts to see this truth. We have a measure of clarity now. But then, then it will be perfect. Then, our joy will be perfect when we look upon Jesus with our own eyes. This is the message of hope that Jesus is proclaiming, preparing and even equipping us for the loneliness that we experience in this life. And that means hope is not a wish. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is certain because hope is accomplished by Jesus on the cross, and in His resurrection. Because that hope is certain, because our sorrow will turn to joy then, it means that we can have peace in tribulation now. Again, 
Jesus is not presenting to us a message of naive positivity. He very clearly speaks of tribulation. He tells the disciples and us that it is coming. What is that tribulation? There are certain end-time teachers who, who point to a specific, brief, intense period of suffering at the end of time. And many of us hear this word tribulation and we think of that teaching. And what do we do when we think of that teaching? We pull out our calendar. We want to try and determine a date so that we can we get enough food around us. We get enough water around us. We want to prep for that suffering because we think that that's the point that Jesus is pointing to a date so that we can be isolated from it. But that's not tribulation. Jesus is speaking of tribulation is a word that means trials and suffering Jesus is pointing to the trials and suffering that we experience now he's not pointing to some end time category but to a very current reality a recurrent reality that is true for all Christians that life as a Christian in this fallen world is marked by trials and sufferings, and we're called to understand that and not be surprised by it. So what is the tribulation that we experience? On the one hand, it's physical suffering. Physical suffering is a universal effect of the fall. For some, it's, it's the creaking joints that come with age. For some, it's the cancer diagnosis. And everything in between. Because the fall was a cosmic fall. And when we fell into sin, death was ushered in. Death is the impact of the fall. And because death is cosmic, we experience the pain of physical suffering in this life. It is part of the tribulation. But as Christians, we also suffer the tribulation of persecution. Now, for the disciples, almost every one of them would suffer the painful death of martyrdom. As they would boldly, courageously stand for Jesus. And they would be persecuted to the point of death. For us, the trials of persecution take different forms. Sometimes it's the rejection of a friend or the disagreements about those things we hold most dear. At times it's the persecution we experience in the workplace when we're called to sacrifice those things that we hold dear to buy into the storyline of the world. For some it's broken relationships divided over matters of the faith persecution comes in many forms but Jesus is preparing us so that we will not be surprised the disciples would would celebrate they would they would rejoice that they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus Christ they didn't lash out in anger. They received it with joy because Jesus had prepared them 
This is what it means to live by the fruit of the Spirit. It's to receive this persecution in all joy, holding fast to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is preparing us for here in this text. And it's a message that we need to hear today in Trustville, Alabama. Don't be surprised. And yet some of the tribulation comes as a result of our own sin. Jesus seems to be alluding to it in verses 31 and 32. The disciples hear all of this and say, oh, Jesus, we got it. We have clarity now. We know who you are and we believe. And Jesus points to their sin of abandoning him. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. Jesus is offering a, a corrective in the face of their sin and their pending sin, but don't miss this. Jesus, in the midst of his corrective, he's encouraging them. He's with them. He's there with this message of hope, even in the midst of the sin that he's pointing out to them, so that he might impart hope. First, that hope, as we've been saying, is founded on the reality that what will be true then gives us peace now. What will be true then is our salvation is secure, which means our salvation is secure now. Look, if you've booked a vacation next month, there's a spring in your step as you're dealing with long hours at work this month, right? You know what's coming. You know that you're going to get a break. You know the, the, the excitement, the joy that is coming, and that gives you an ability to endure today. Salvation is not a vacation. It is something far more grand, far more glorious. Salvation is the certain promise of reconciled relationship with God. It is is a certain promise of an eternity with Him in His presence, in the never-diminishing glory of His paradise, free of our sin struggles, free of pain, free of loss, free of conflict. And it's certain, because it is not dependent upon our performance, past or future. It's certain because it is not dependent upon our intellect or understanding, past or future. It is certain because it is all Jesus. It is all of His grace given to us, though we do not merit it. It's certain. Jesus has accomplished it, and Jesus has given it, and we receive it through faith, and that faith is not even a result of our works. That faith is not because we were clever enough to believe. That faith is given to us by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit graciously initiates a work of new birth in our lives. So in other words... In Christ, our salvation is secure. That's the truth. 
that gives us the peace to endure the trials of this life. But friends, in this text, there's another beautiful truth about the peace that we have. It's not only founded on what will be true then. What is true now gives us peace now. And what this text tells us that is true now is the Father's love for us. Verse 27, he tells us the Father loves you. And John, we've had and, and, I, and, and we'll have again in chapter 17 this, this, this beautiful picture of the intimate union that has existed between Father and Son for all eternity. In John, we, we see that, that through this union, Jesus reveals the Father. We have this, this crazy temptation to want to separate the God of wrath in the old and, the, and Jesus of love in the new. But the Word, the Word of God is telling us that, that Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. And in Jesus, we can know the Father. But more than knowing them, or maybe through our knowing Him, we can experience His love. We talked about the struggle of loneliness. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you reach out to someone and they don't answer? Maybe you send them a text and you ask them a question, a personal question. And you're asking them to respond. Maybe inviting them to join you somewhere. And then silence. What do you do with that silence? I know what you do with that silence because I do the same. In the silence, we create our own storyline. Pretty soon, this request that I've made to uh, this person who I had convinced myself was fr a friend, they don't respond. And, and in my mind, the storyline that I create is that they've always hated me. They're on the other end of this text message trying to figure out how can, can I hide and not respond to this person. They're on the other end thinking, you know, nobody likes me. And I'm on my end thinking, I have no friends. I'm going to live the rest of my life alone, isolated. We laugh. But it's a laugh of agreement. In our aloneness, we feel the silence with a storyline that we create. We answer our own questions. But what if there were a truer storyline? Jesus is telling us that in the midst of tribulation, He has not abandoned us. Jesus tells us there is a truer storyline that rings loudly throughout the silence. And that storyline is this. The Father loves us. He has always loved us. It was His love that sent Jesus to this earth. 
to live for us and to die for us on the cross. The storyline behind the gospel is the love of the Father. It is the storyline that breaks the silence of loneliness with the hope of the gospel. What is true now gives us peace now. And what is true now is even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of tribulation and suffering and seeming silence, the Father loves us. This is the truth of this passage. It's the promise of peace that we find in this passage. But how are we to experience that peace? In other words, what are we to do about it? Maybe you wanted more. (laughs) I gather a group of friends in a discipleship group, and I will often admonish them the same thing I will admonish people when I'm teaching Sunday school. Don't give me the Sunday school answer. Pray is the classic Sunday school answer, but it's the answer I'm giving you today because it is the answer that Jesus gives us in this text. He beautifully speaks about the experiential, intimate, conversational relationship that we are to have in union with Him. And He connects that call to prayer, weaving it throughout this passage in His promise of peace. And yet, it's a bit confusing. And so, we've got to look to it. In verse 23 Uh, Jesus says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Is Jesus saying in that day, the day of his coming, that we will no longer pray? Is he telling the disciples, when I come back at the resurrection, you will no longer pray? No, that's not what he's saying. The disciples have been asking Jesus questions. And in Jesus' answers, he's been revealing to them the Father. When he returns, when he returned for the disciples, their confusion gave way to clarity. And he's telling them, you will ask the Father. The conversational intimacy that they had with Jesus is the conversational intimacy that they and we enjoy with the Father when they and we grasp the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. And so in verse 24, Jesus is encouraging them to persist in prayer, in union. He says, until now, you haven't done this. Until now, disciples, you have not prayed in my name. You haven't asked in my name. It's not that they forgot the tagline at the end of the prayer. They didn't forget the formula. It's that they thought differently about prayer. Prior to that, prayer was about petitioning God, and it was largely the role of the priesthood. The priests interceded on behalf of the people, but Jesus is speaking of a new way where He is the mediator, and we are in Him. The disciples and us are now to pray in Jesus. Vision is always 2020 in the rearview mirror. The disciples had the 
2020 vision of the rearview mirror through the resurrection and soon would have it through the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We have the 2020 rearview mirror as well, but we're still learning. We're still learning what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, it represents all that is true of him, the totality of his person. To pray in his name is to pray in a manner that is consistent with his character and his will, coming to the Father in his authority, desiring and delighting in that which Jesus desires and delights in. As I consider this prayer in Jesus' name, I'm coming to believe that two categories of people get this most clearly. Two categories of people embrace it and embody it most. The first category of people is the youngest children. The youngest children just innately get childlike faith. They're not arguing over points of theology. They are coming to Jesus in dependence and in love. I have seen the Lord work through prayer in the lives of my young children in ways that astounded me. I've seen Him heal the sick through the prayers of the young children because the young children came to Him with a childlike faith, dependence, trust, and love. Let's learn to pray like a child, simply dependent. I think there's a second category of people who get this prayer. The older, wiser saints who have experienced through a lifetime of trials and learned through pain that though all else fails, Jesus never will. The older, wiser saints bear the scars of tribulation, but if through that tribulation they have learned to cling to a Savior who does not run, they have an intimacy in prayer. Let your scars point you to Jesus. And let us pray like a child and like an older, wiser saint. Jesus is calling us to experience peace in the midst of tribulation by entering into a conversational relationship with the Father through a growing conformity to Christ. And friends, that growing conformity to Christ is going to take place over a lifetime. In other words, as we grow through our scars, through our our dependence at the foot of the cross, we will become more christ like and we will pray more clearly and dependently in the name of Jesus. So in other words, union in Christ is the answer to your loneliness. And yet we all get distracted. Maybe the best picture of this is in Matthew chapter 14. Just like all stories, it was a dark and stormy night. The disciples found themselves on a small boat in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. The storm was raging and they were, they were afraid. And as if the storm wasn't enough and the 
In the middle of that night, they looked out beyond the boat and they saw what they thought was a ghost walking on the water, but it wasn't a ghost. It was the person of Jesus Christ walking steadfastly in the storm. And then Peter, being Peter, said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. And Jesus, being Jesus, invited him to come. Peter like a child, stepped out of the boat with a focus on Jesus and he walked towards him. I can imagine the look of delight on his face until he looked around. And when he looked around those waves, that storm became bigger in his view than Jesus. And he sank. Or at least he started to sink. Jesus grabbed him. Jesus held him. Friends, we grow in Christ-likeness. We grow in our experiential understanding of peace through our focus on Jesus. But our hope is not on our focus. Our hope is on Jesus' grip. Because praise be to God, Jesus reminds us that he has overcome the world. Trials and tribulations come. Don't be surprised. We have something more lasting. We have hope. And through that hope, we have the peace of Jesus Christ. He will cling to us. Keep your focus on him. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We praise you that you tell us like it is, and you draw us to yourself. And in that truth, and in your grace, we find the hope of peace eternal with you. So shape our presence with the reality of that future, and grow us in Christ.